Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is Quahak. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beat me up. Resistance is futile. Live long and prosper. and welcome to season six of the computer resume podcast the show covering the entire star trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old i'm your host writer comedian mr todd a davis all right you may have seen him in the star trek shit posting facebook group flaunting his selfies with star trek stars i mean it's like whatever dude from norcal it's kevin heaven straight Hey, Kevin. <laughs> How you doing, buddy? I, I'm doing good, Todd. How about you? Oh, I'm very well. It's, uh, I got to say, you are, I have met, I've been able to meet and interact with a lot of different Star Trek fans in my time doing this show so far. I got to say, in terms of a beacon of positive, nerdy goodness, you stand head and shoulders above the rest. You you are is, uh, you're incredibly wrong. you're incredibly wrong. positive. Thank you. You're incredibly outgoing, uh, incredibly friendly, and uh, I'm I'm really excited to get into this episode uh, with you today. Um, so thank you, first of all, for being here. Thank you for inviting me. No, it's it's truly an honor. Like I said, it's an honor. It's it's and again, I think that uh, being on the internet sometimes in any sort of fandom and culture, things can sometimes be very uh, toxic and negative and so again i do like to at least promote uh more you know positivity and sort of just sort of that enthusiasm because i feel like personally i don't always see that on the internet sometimes or certain corners of the internet for sure so i think that's very i think it's very important yeah you're absolutely right about that there i mean it's no secret there are certain groups uh certain fandoms out there that um unfortunately have become notorious for the toxicity within that fan group now again it's not it's not everybody because star trek even has a group of has a has you know a couple of bad apples in it but for the most part i mean if even if you're kind of at a surface level there is something different about star trek fandom it's built around the idea of hope i mean there's a there's a quote floating out floating around out there about star trek being different because it does center around the idea of hope but uh you know there there are very much uh other fandoms that you would think would inspire the same goodwill the same acceptance uh of the same openness and that tends to not be the case so without um delaying too much further i want to dive right into you personally, do you have an earliest Star Trek memory? Did somebody introduce you to the franchise at a particular age? Was it a particular episode or movie? What was your what was your first Star Trek memory? 
Yes. So my uh, fantastic first question. Um, my first earliest Star Trek memory was absolutely watching TNG, watching TNG at a yeah. very young age. And uh, my father, who is an enormous science fiction fan, uh, just in general, like, started and got me into it as well as just my love of science fiction in general like he started me on the classics essentially he started me on forbidden planet uh data stood still 2001 a space odyssey wow. like all of the all of the science fiction classics like all all of that and star trek as well on top of it and all of those things like alien blade runner like all all of those any sort of like famous well-known science fiction film you you you, ha- you name it you know you have it like i definitely was raised on a pretty good diet of science fiction. Like, absolutely. That's awesome. I I got Star Trek shelf, Star Trek shelf, other science fiction franchises. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And just, it's something that we've, uh, my father and I just something I've always bonded over. Like we really have, but just, just in general, just like, just, just science fiction, but especially Star Trek as well, for sure. Like, absolutely. And just, even at a young age, like, again, like I did start out pretty young and like, so like, maybe I didn't, maybe some things did go over my head. Like, I'm sure some things just like whew, over my head, like, absolutely. But it's something I think that's, it's always uh, stayed with me. It really has. So I went to TNG, then I started TOS and then went to DS9, Voyager, <laughs> Enterprise, the, the the films of course obviously and then to the new star trek series that's airing on uh, paramount plus right now so so uh, before we get too much further into new trek i do because you because you grew up on tng just like i did um i wanted to ask because tos didn't have the longevity on the small screen that tng did yes so the characters on tng had the time to be more fleshed out and explored in different aspects of you know their life on the ship their life before they were on the ship and all of these things so i want to see did you have a particular character from the tng crew that you resonated with or identified with because i know from my own experience uh and i've talked about it a couple times you know as a as a young man growing up you're presented with Deanna Troy, who I've referred to her as a bit of a decider. It's kind of like, hey, young man, how do we feel about this? <laughs> um, but I think also, that's absolutely true. I can relate to with you on that, I think, for sure. Sure. I, I think I think sci-fi, yes, I think sci-fi um, gave me a type, I think, for sure, with young, uh, yes, younger uh, brunette women. Younger of brunette course, women, of I course. Think. Going back to or some Star Wars as well, I think, also, yes. But also, flip side of that coin, you're also presented with uh, very manly men of, like, Riker, Worf, and then you've got sort of this this elder statesman, I, and I've said, I've said quite a few times, uh, Picard was the calm uh reassuring yet stern voice that i needed as a young man so i responded Absolutely. very well to, uh, uh, i responded i did too yeah yeah 100 percent. So, so who who are those characters for you do you have one or two yeah i would say for sure a lot of the strongest tg characters that at least maybe uh they resonated with me the most left the impact on me i would say are uh, Picard and Data. Picard and Data from TNG, I think really did resonate me as well as 
their episodes as well. Like when their episodes were very focused on them specifically. Yeah. Um, I love them. They're some of my favorites, honestly. Um, again, the episode two, where I mean, obviously, I think the episode I think was around season five, um, with Picard and he's sorry with uh, Q Picard and he's going back and kind of re the reevaluate. He's reevaluating his life. He's reevaluating his life. Yep. And how he's kind of like. Yes. Or no, excuse me. Tapestry. 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 Thank you. Tapestry. Yeah. Exactly. Or as I like, or sometimes I like to call it tapestry. Tapestry. <laughs> um, because that was always a thing. There's only a few episodes where they don't mention Q in the title. And that's uh, like, you know, the beginning far point. And then um, that one tapestry. And then um, the finale. All good things. Yeah. Where Q shows up. They don't say Q in the title. But anyway, but it's tapestry. Tapestry is an episode I think that absolutely can resonate really, really with anyone, not just with anyone, because you're, you're looking back, you're that in your life and Picard could have gone a different direction. Like he could have just been a, a regular, just a regular um, Lieutenant junior grade, Lieutenant junior grade, Lieutenant junior grade, Lieutenant. And he could never end up being captain. And yeah. that's something that his life, his life could have gone in that particular, as he learns. So like there were times that, in his life that he needed to take risks like i think that's i think a really important part of that or to learn and to grow from those things because if he never did he'd be in the same position that way all his life and, he, and without that experience even though he got stabbed by the uh i'm blanking on the name right now oh, the uh <laughs> um nausicaan nausicaan thank you very good yeah you humans you talk and talk but you have no gramba <laughs> um exactly right exactly Nosken, thank you um but that experience even though it, it almost cost him his heart his heart i believe artificial artificial heart and stuff like that but again from that harrowing experience he was able to learn and that be, it, that experience even though it hurt affected him made him become i think a better leader and a better person so i think that episode works on a few quite a few levels i think yeah i you know one thing i i want to point out to um uh, to the listeners for sure if if they hadn't put it together the episode tapestry because star trek is known for not having christmas episodes right except for tapestry tapestry is kind of a blend of christmas carol and it's a wonderful it's life. a wonderful life it's a wonderful life yes. yeah yeah uh, and knowing, you know, that Picard, who classically trained British actor, who, of course, uh, played Scrooge on stage for years and yes. years and years, and even did a televised version of Christmas Carol. Um, I don't I don't think even that televised version is as good as Tapestry. Honestly. Agreed. Oh, absolutely. 100 <laughs> percent. But knowing that your favorite characters are Picard and Data. Let's jump now to New Trek. How do you feel about season one of Picard? Oh, season one in particular, or uh, yeah. Let, let's start with let's start with season one. Oh yes, um, season one of Picard. So we're getting into, of course. Well, again, I really loved. I think the best scene in all of season one of Picard is his sort of his, as you see towards the end, his last uh, meeting with Data, his last sort of meeting with Data, and I yeah. thought that was very powerful. And emotional. I mean, you can say what you want about the season or certain developments or story arcs or how things went. But I think, and I think there's some criticism to be had there, but I think that the Data Picard relationship and having saying goodbye to Data, I thought was very emotional and very powerful. Because again, Data was always, I think, sort of the stick, like, again, like 
like the Kirk Spock relationship, like the Kirk Spock sort of relationship. I think the Picard data relationship is very uh, similar in that regard. It's a very similar, I think it can be a similar type of dynamic. And so saying goodbye to data towards the end of season one of Picard, I thought was very emotional. That really affected me for sure. Like, absolutely. Those are the strongest moment I think of season one. Yeah. You know, for me with season one of Picard, because yeah, you're absolutely right. That, that scene is a crucial key point. I always think back to my thoughts and feelings before we got that pilot episode of Picard of like, oh, we're going to revisit this, these old characters. It's either going to be really great or it's it's not, or it's just not going to work. And it's just going to come off as cheesy and, and all this stuff. And I think that very first scene in that pilot episode where we, you know, it's an establishing shot moving in on, of course, the Enterprise D, which is still such a beautiful ship. It and is. then we go right into 10 Ford and they're playing poker. And that little bit of dialogue that they have back and forth is so great. So late later in that same episode, Picard is at the vineyard sitting under a tree. He quotes Shakespeare. And at that moment I go, you know what? You could roll credits right now. I'm, I'm all set. Yes. <laughs> that and was I, worth the price of admission. I'm was, good. Uh, and of course I do have some thoughts and feelings. Uh, you know, no TV show is perfect, uh, but I, 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 I do have some thoughts about him. I'd like to bounce them off you. We're going to save that for the after show. <laughs> you got it. Sure, you got it. I was going to say also is that uh, to relate, I actually did visit that very same winery. Did I got really? to visit. I did indeed. It's down in Southern California. It is the Sunstone. It is the yes. It is the Sunstone Winery, and I was fortunate to actually go on a tour of that winery, the winery that's featured in Star Trek Picard. And uh, it's very lovely. It's very lovely, very nice. And I just was like, wow, this is the vineyard. This is it. Wow. So um, if you are in that area, if you are down in the Southern California area, again, I'm from Northern California myself. So I had to, I drove down quite a ways to, to, to visit and have that tour, but it was well worth it. And uh, it was just a lovely, lovely area. And um, so, yeah, I just just wanted to bring that up just really quickly since you mentioned Picard. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Picard, of course, right now is kind of at the tip of everybody's tongue with, of course, Todd Stashwick hitting the scene hard as as Captain Liam Shaw. Everybody adores him. (laughs) Absolutely. Total Um, scene stealer. And it's kind of fun because a lot of people forgot this isn't his first go around in the franchise. He was a he was a guest yes. star in Enterprise. I was like, oh, he yeah, was. This is, this is a second go around for he him. He was. So, I went back and looked that up. Going, oh, he wasn't that. Oh my god, like this, it was crazy. Yeah. And, and as a fellow uh, DM, I am absolutely desperate to talk to this man about <laughs> about so many things and Star Trek. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, he he's a fan. Like he yeah. absolutely is a fan. Absolutely. Um, so, so let's 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 switch gears here to another vein of New Trek when Discovery first hit in 2017. Uh we talked a little bit about this before we started to roll. This was a big gear shift, but it was really restarting the engine of the Star Trek franchise proper. I mean, Star Trek on the small screen in homes for the first time since 2005. So we're talking yes, well over a decade. Uh, what were your 
first thoughts in that first season of Discovery? Because it it, it obviously gets a lot of its of its aesthetics from the J.J. Abrams movies, which uh, most people seem to be on board with. A couple of people have issues with a, a few things here and there, but honestly. I feel like the production value took a big jump it and, did. you know, and here we are. So take me back to your first thoughts about discovery, this new chapter in what we're calling new Trek, new Trek. Yes. It really was an exciting time. It's funny that discovery has been around for a little while now. Now it's, you can always start to feel nostalgic about it, which is very interesting, uh-huh. but now it's brown along to be like, I remember discovery Aaron. like, it's just like really takes you back. Like I, they can't believe it but yeah i was very excited very excited and again i had been out of star trek really for quite some time i mean even with the jj films which i did mostly largely enjoy but like there were films there were movies they were set in the kelvin timeline and so again the fact that trick was coming back to the salt small screen again on tv where it first started i think really got me even more excited and the fact there was gonna be more in the you know the prime timeline proper the main prime timeline again yeah. and again i the aesthetics, I mean, it got, I think the six were great production value was again through the roof. Fantastic. As we get to season two, this episode, this episode, um, my God, like production values too. And especially with the, uh, we're going to get to that later, but, but just seeing this, yes, how, how much has come. It's, uh, it's come such a long way on that period of time. And no, I thought season one, like I actually really enjoy, I was really actually quite engaged with season one. I was like, I just thought that it was very interesting with the whole, uh, again, like Klingon war aspect I thought was very just like, okay, like, wow, like we're getting like really into this and um, just like sort of this interesting conflict and Lorca and just the the captain of Lorca. Uh, Lorca, I thought was a such a, I do. I actually miss Lorca. I do. I weirdly, I do do actually miss Lorca. (laughs) Again, love Pike, of course. Like I love Pike. Like Pike is great as we're going to get to. Pike is great and fantastic and handsome metal. That's wonderful. But I'll admit, like I was very, just drawn to Lorca because Lorca was such a very just, you didn't know what he was going. He was so interesting. Yeah. Not because necessarily he was a, not because he was a moral paragon of virtue, like Picard, who is my favorite captain. And right. I love him for that, that he is this like moral paragon of virtue that does the right thing yeah. all the time. You can expect that. But Lorca in the beginning felt very morally gray. He felt very morally gray in the beginning. And I'm like, okay, this is a guy who at first, we don't know this, but like, he's a guy that's very rough around the edges as it's brought up in this episode. He doesn't have chairs in his waiting, in his, as, in his quarters, he, in the ready room, right? He doesn't have that. He's very hardened and very like ready to do sort of whatever it takes, like whatever yeah. it takes to get the job done. And a very, you know, brash, very kind of like, he, he didn't give these great, maybe eloquent speeches, all inspiring speeches all the time. Yep. And I thought he was a very great character. And when he turned out to be from the mere universe, as we see later on in that season, yep, I was very stunned and surprised. And, and to this day, and then when he was gone to this day, though, I, I do wish, well, what happened to Prime Lorca? What happened to Prime Lorca? If that was mere universe Lorca, then what happened? Where is the Prime Lorca? Um, that is a threat. That's something I, I do wish. Um, it doesn't have to be Discovery, I suppose, but I do wish a Trek show would kind of go back to that. I, I do. I would like some on-screen confirmation of what happened to Prime Lorca or where is Prime Lorca? You know, I'd take it in comic book format. I just, I just want yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> because I thought Jason Isaacs was, he was fantastic. I really was. I just, wonderful. he was wonderful. And I, yeah. and I did get to have a, 
right after that season aired, I was fortunate enough to go to Star Trek Las Vegas that year and get a photo and get a photo op with him. And he was just awesome. He was just like, oh my God, this is a great like character. And I do, I do. Like he is a character from season one of Discovery that I do really miss. Like I did r- really miss that character. Yeah. And I, I think the the other, I don't mean it's, you know, as if more praise needs to be heaped on her. Uh, of course, Michelle Yeoh, so great. Yes, um, but you know the Academy Academy Award winning actress now Michelle Academy Yeoh. Award winning Academy uh, actress Michelle Yeoh. Yeah. <laughs> now that she's got that Academy Award, I I do wonder if we will ever see her again. Now that she's got that Academy Award, I, here's um, here's the thing. Based on her choices leading up to and including Star Trek, you can kind of see. Oh, she digs this. She digs this she genre does. type stuff. However. You know, it's not just her, whatever team she's got working for her got on the phones and we're like, Hey, I know yeah. you guys were wanting to start that section 31 show. We're going to need to go ahead and renegotiate that contract. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that well, had to exactly. be a discussion somewhere. <laughs> now that she's won the best actress award. And she also was in a film that won seven Academy awards, including best film. Uh, yeah. She might want more of a pay bump after that. I think yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> that's but, exactly you know, the other character, in addition to in addition to Lorca, we've mentioned uh, before, we've uh, given her a lot of praise. Uh, Jane Brock's character, uh, Admiral Cornwell. Admiral Cornwell, which we see her. Of course, we see her as an admiral, but it's it's interesting to because they make a point of it that she was Starfleet medical. Not only was she Starfleet medical, she was a psychologist, which, in terms of infiltration and working behind enemy lines is super fascinating it is and fascinating, as, and as fascinating uh and as deep as we could get with a Lorca series i am desperate for a pre-discovery cornwell series yeah that would be amazing it would but moving on to uh this particular episode uh you know the episode right before it season finale if you were just kind of on the fence about Discovery all the way up to the season finale, the Enterprise pulling up and stopping I in remember front of Discovery was such a great it moment. It really was. Yeah. And so here we are. Here we are. We are post Klingon War. And now we're getting into some deeper stuff, a couple of deeper things. We're getting into some deeper character things, but we're also getting into hey, we've got a problem. Your science better be up to snuff or everyone's going to (laughs) die. Exactly. Yes. What are your thoughts initially about this episode? We'll, we'll keep it pretty spoiler free for the, for the listeners. uh, But we're going to, we're going to hit that recap here in just a minute. But what were your, what were your initial thoughts about this episode, brother season two premiere? Yes. um, I thought it actually was quite a great, premiere actually i i did and again for it's like for for a couple of reasons um i think one of the tenants i think that star trek really is all about is problem solving i think really at its core i think star trek really has always been about problem solving and i think this episode again it can be that can be for a lot of variety of things of course and this there really was this great problem of like you're finding this the ship down below on this sort of this asteroid and how are they how are they going to how are they going to save the the remaining crew members or not and you have that conversation with pike on the bridge and he's uh-huh. 
he's trying and Saru's kind of bringing up, oh, can we, you know, we're not sure if we can save these people or not. And, Pike, and Pike's determined. Pike's like, no, we have to, We have, which is why I also love Pike too. He's very determined, like, no, we have to go and save these crew members. And they're kind of talking about that and going through that sort of uh, struggle. And also the new characters as well that get introduced of Anson Mount as Pike and uh, Tignantaro as uh, Jet Reno as well. And uh, getting more into the familiar relationships with uh, Michael Burnham and um Sarek, as well as discussing spock or that anticipation of i might be reuniting with uh, my brother who i have not seen some time and yeah. Sarek's like ditto like i also haven't really talked to him in quite some time either or seen him in quite some time so this anticipation of like uh expectations and uh sort of that whole you know familiar just like trying to what, what, what is this person doing? I haven't seen them in so long or how do they feel about me? And as the episode starts off with this flashback, we see her first meeting with very young uh, Lil Spock, <laughs> L.I.L. Lil Spock, and um, he throws a holographic dragon at her. He throws a holographic dragon of yeah. some sort, a holographic Chinese dragon. <laughs> That's what it looked like to me. That's what it looked like to me. And uh, slams the door and slams the door. Yeah. And uh, just showing that initial... Uh, there's just a lot of friction there, a lot of friction confrontation there. And also just a relationship with uh, just crew members with uh, Stamets and Tilly as well. And how Stamets is dealing with the uh, sort of the loss of uh, Hugh Colbert and um, Tilly just sort of just and just Tilly not being sure. Well, Stamets might be leaving. Like, what am I going to like? And she's going to feel like sad. They're like, I really like Stamets. And Stamets might be leaving. And what am I going to do? And that really kind of dovetails at the end and then she stands like hey you know like i want to be part of this as they're bringing the astro the, uh, the remnants of the asteroid uh into the uh the docking bay the docking bay the shuttle bay the docking bay because yeah. i want to be part of this too and then they're able to sort of like rejoin again and bond over trying to work through getting this asteroid and trying to get the remnants of it and she has that great also just a great line at the end just a line i enjoy was like that's the power of math people like this is the power of math people yeah. and uh, they're kind of like, reconnecting again and stamets is like okay well i'm gonna i'm not leaving like right away but i'm you know after this thing with you know pike we'll see and you know reevaluates and you know he gets to think on that a bit more yeah you know i to me and then uh we'll get we'll we'll get into we'll get into the the nitty-gritty here in just a second but one of the things that i'm going to hit after the recap is something that you mentioned briefly this thought uh amongst some of the more notable characters here of what does this person think of me and I think that is examined really well. And I think it's something that is incredibly relatable. Oh, it's uh, something we all can relate to. Like, absolutely, yeah. no matter who it is, right? Like, absolutely. Example, like, for example, I may be an, I'm a late child, actually, myself. So I actually don't even have, like, that whole sibling dynamic necessarily, per se. But it could be other family members or other friends or just meeting somebody new at a social gathering or event or things like that or it could be on an online space it could be online facebook you know what have you like what does this new person think of me and making a good first impression or uh, you haven't seen them in a while what do you say and just like it's it's all very relatable i think yeah absolutely so with that being said let's get to this week's recap brought to you in part by our patreon supporters rev j jerry antimano cosmic crit kitty b and David Willett. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Captain Christopher Pike requests permission to come aboard. Welcome. 
Commander, this is awkward, but the best way to get into a cold stream is to jump right in. I'm here as take command of the Discovery under Regulation 19, Section C. Your directive is only instituted when an imminent threat is detected. Federation sensors picked up seven red bursts spread out across more than 30,000 light years. These mysterious signals are beyond anything we understand. Is it a greeting? A declaration of malice? Let's find out. Aye, sir. Total free ball. Trust us. Discovery has you. Right, ladies? <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, dear. This is the power of math, people. We have someone in common. My foster brother, Mr. Spock. He took leave. It's as if he'd run into a question he couldn't answer. Spock is linked to these signals. Collision course with a pulsar. Oh, what a relief. Thought we were all gonna die. Wherever our mission takes us, we'll try to have a little fun along the way. Ruffle a few feathers. I look forward to it. Hit it. Burnham reflects on the history of space exploration and the African legend of the girl who made the stars. Burnham thinks back to being brought to Sarek and Amanda Grayson's home on Vulcan for the first time and her intro to Spock, drawing alone in his room. She ponders if she's truly ready to understand the story of the girl who made the stars. Young Burnham extends a hand of friendship to young Spock, only to have him slam the door shut in her face. On the bridge of discovery, Saru attempts to determine the condition of Enterprise. Owasakun reports Enterprise is completely offline, though Burnham confirms life support is still functioning with a full crew of 203. Tilly suggests using Morse code, allowing Pike to request a transport aboard with a science engineering officer. At the thought of being reunited with Spock, so unexpectedly, both Sarek and Burnham note to each other they would not expected to encounter Spock ever again. And on that note, we cue the music. As they make their way to the transporter room, Saru notices Burnham's nervousness, attributing it to her meeting Spock again after so long. Burnham states she's on a mission and in problem-solving mode. Cheer bright. The transporter energizes, beaming board Pike, his engineer commander Nan, and his science officer, Lieutenant Evan Connolly. <laughs> Not Spock. Pike informs Saru that he's been sent to take command under Starfleet Regulation 19, Section C. Saru notes there are only three contingencies for that regulation and asks for which of them Pike is there for. All of them is Pike's reply. As they make their way to the bridge, Pike explains that over the past 24 hours, Federation sensors have detected seven red bursts spread out across more than 30,000 light years appearing in perfect synchronization just long enough to be scanned and then vanishing except one 
Saru points out synchronization rules out a natural phenomenon, asking for some kind of signal. Connolly adds that whenever Enterprise tried to scan the burst, the computer went haywire, with Burnham comparing it to a compass at the North Pole. Pike remarks, he said you were smart. Connolly continues that it's neither a temporal anomaly nor a black hole. The single burst stabilized long enough to have its coordinates plotted, and Pike ordered the Enterprise intercept when it suffered shipwide system failure, necessitating his move to Discovery while Enterprise is repaired. On the bridge, Pike has his DNA scanned for verification before he takes command, and his Starfleet file appears in the main viewer. Pike points out a few select details, explaining that he knows about Lorca, and understands the crew will have doubts about an outsider's captain, but emphasizes he's not Lorca. He then explains the mission and orders Detmer to set a course for the remaining signal. Meanwhile, in engineering, Stamets replays a hollow message from Culber when he's approached by Tilly. Stamets tells Tilly that he accepted a teaching position at the Vulcan Science Academy and admits that he sees Culber everywhere he looks on the ship. Tilly tries to convince him to stay. Meanwhile, in her quarters, Burnham reads Alice's Adventures in Wonderland when Sarek visits her. Burnham asks Sarek why he thinks Spock didn't come aboard. Sarek replies that perhaps Spock is devoting his time to repairing Enterprise. I guess. Burnham then asks what Sarek expected Spock to learn from her when he adopted her. Sarek believes Burnham would have taught him empathy, but doesn't believe Spock ever accepted her. Burnham says that he may have, for a time. Sarek advises her to look at the problem ahead rather than behind. Burnham returns to the bridge, just as Discovery drops out of warp in the middle of a massive debris field. The signal appears to have vanished. Sucks! A large chunk of debris narrowly misses the ship. The point of near impact was at the exact coordinates of the signal. How convenient! Saru and Burnham indicate that the object is an interstellar asteroid with an atmosphere, clouding sensors with hypercharged particles. Detmer reports that the ship is caught in a fluctuating gravity well. Burnham suggests using Discovery's telescopic cameras to scan the surface. As Detmer tries to keep up with the asteroid, Discovery bounces off its gravity well, causing its trajectory to change into a collision course with a pulsar, which will incinerate the rock within five hours. Great. Burnham reports there's a Starfleet ship on the surface. Saru determines it's the USS Hiawatha, a medical frigate thought lost in the war ten months earlier. Pike orders a landing party. On their way to the hangar, Tilly asks Burnham to recover a sample of the asteroid. Pike, Burnham, Nan, and Connolly take the ship's landing pod, which is designed for high-gravity situations into the debris field. The magnetic distortions interfere with the landing pod's autopilots, forcing them to resort to manual control. Connolly flies ahead, despite Burnham's protest that his field of flight is too wide. He refuses Pike's orders to fall back just as a piece of debris smashes into his pod. 86 Connolly. <laughs> The debris damages Pike's pod, and his auto-ejection system fails. Burnham convinces Pike to let her use her own ejection system to save him. Just before impact, Detmer remotely activates Burnham's thruster pack. Burnham reports a safe landing. Relieved, Saru's ganglia retract as he sinks into the captain's chair. Meanwhile, Pike, Burnham, and Nan navigate into the wreckage of the Hiawatha when they're met by three customized probes made from salvaged Starfleet tech. A voice calls them kids and calls for the landing party to enter the wreck, guide them through an emergency shelter inside, which has a breathable atmosphere. They find the voice belongs to the ship's chief engineer, Commander Jet Reno, who's working to stabilize members of the crew, most of whom are in stasis. 
She remarks that she decided not to vaporize the landing party when she saw their Starfleet insignia, having been expecting someone with a batleth. Whoa, that was close. <laughs> Reno explains they'd been en route to Starbase 36 when they were attacked, and most of the war wounded were evacuated, but she stayed behind to keep the critical cases alive. Burnham restores power to Hiawatha's transporters and has pattern enhancers set up to strengthen the signal, allowing them to beam out of the survivors six at a time. Forced to keep shields down to receive the survivors, Saru orders evasive maneuvers even as the ship takes impact from the debris. As the last survivors prepare to beam out, the transporter loses power. Burnham's able to reroute, but is knocked aside by an explosion just as the others disappear. Forced to navigate through the exploding vessel, she returns to the outside and is knocked out by a flying piece of debris. I'm digging that beard. Burnham regains consciousness, a piece of superheated shrapnel stuck in her leg. As she looks up, she sees an angelic figure in the flames. Then, after a moment, the figure is replaced by Pike, who came back for her. Before beaming back, Burnham grabs a sample from the asteroid, but the rock fails to transport with her. In sickbay, Burnham explains to Tilly what happened with the rock, which means the asteroid is not entirely made of bionic matter, which could explain the gravitational energy. I guess. Tilly sets up a gravity simulator in the shuttle bay, and with some fancy flying and mega math, captured the asteroid. With his mission complete, Pike turns a bridge over to Saru. In the ready room, Pike, now wearing a Discovery uniform, meets with Burnham, explaining that Enterprise will require more repairs, and that he and Saru have joint custody of the ship. As they walk through the decks, Burnham admits she's the reason she and Spock don't speak, and says she'd like to go to Enterprise to see him. Pike replies that Spock's on leave. Starfleet ordered Enterprise to remain on its five-year mission as an instrument of last resort, sitting out the war, which took a toll on Pike and his crew. Pike states that Spock had asked where the logic was of staying away if there would be nothing to return to, and was able to show the crew that logic was the beginning of the answer, not the end. A few months earlier, Pike noticed a shift in Spock, as if he had run into a question he couldn't answer which he refused to share with Pike or anyone else. As Spock was one of his officers, Pike trusted him and allowed him to go on leave without asking why. Burnham still wishes to go to Enterprise to find out for herself. Burnham enters Spock's quarters and finds his old drawing table. She accesses his latest personal log, in which Spock remarks that he'd been plagued by nightmares as a child, which his mother taught him to control by drawing. He states that the nightmares have returned, showing the same vision, and Spock now understood their meaning. He encoded the vision within the audio file to be played in the event of his death. <gasps> Burnham activates the drawing table, showing the map of the seven red bursts, and realizing what Spock had seen. Ooh, that's interesting! Oh my gosh, you guys, I am so excited to tell you about this. Hey folks, it's your old pal, Mr. Todd A. Davis here from the Computer Resume Podcast. Get ready to boldly go where, well, thousands have gone before. It's TrekFest 38, yay! June 23rd and 24th in Riverside, Iowa. Hey! Is this heaven? No. It's Iowa. Come enjoy all kinds of free activities for you and your whole family. This year's event will feature Chase Masterson from Deep Space Nine, some of the best bands in the area on the Riverside Casino and Golf Resort sponsored main stage, food, 
drinks, and yours truly will be doing some hosting and emceeing. I'll be upset if you don't come get a selfie with me. For more info about this year's Trek Fest, visit them on Facebook at Riverside Trek Fest or on the web at trekfest.org. That's T-R-E-K-F-E-S-T dot org. Riverside isn't just where the best begins, it's where Trek begins. Now, back to the show. So, as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to focus on one particular aspect here. Um, The idea of what does this person think of me? And just briefly, I know that we've got Burnham dealing with the after effects of her growing up with Spock. Basically, when she got adopted by Sarek and Amanda, she was kind of given the cold shoulder by their son, Spock. And that sort of first impression, which is a, you know, a big step in what do people think of me, that first impression uh, had a lasting effect. And then we've got Pike, who is stepping onto the bridge for the first time. And be it a happy accident, his entire Starfleet record pops up on the view screen and he says, no, leave it there. I know you guys are feeling a particular way about me. So let's go through it. Here's my asthma. Here's where I failed astrophysics. I, he, I mean, he warts and all he, he goes through it all and says, Hey, look, I know you guys are concerned having just dealt with Lorca. Let me reassure you. I'm not Lorca. The third person is someone who is dealing with the situation and doesn't really care what people think at all. And that's Jet Reno, who is there doing the work. The ship crashes. What does she do? She gets back to work. She absolutely <laughs> she does. Builds the, she builds the kids, and she maintains the stasis of the her crew members who are just hanging on by a thread. And when it's pointed out to her by Commander Nan, you're not medical, you're an engineer. And she responds in kind of just kind of like the body's in it. The body's a machine. <laughs> like I'm just working. I don't really care that you think that. <laughs> so we've got kind of three different thought processes about this idea of what do people think of me? So with those in mind, when you decided to jump back into Star Trek fandom, was there this thought of, I haven't been in it for a while. What do these hardcore Trekkers think of me? Um, how how is the how are the interactions gonna go? Did you have this feeling of being like young Burnham may have felt like a fish out of water? Yes, absolutely. I think that's a great um great segue into that. Like absolutely. Uh, just being part of like the in online fandom. If you are active in any part of online fandom at all, but Star Trek especially, uh, but now getting back in discovery once it aired and stuff and really, really wanting to communicate and talk about Star Trek with various people online. And if you want to share pictures of yourself and all this stuff, you do start to wonder about your perceptions, about how you can be perceived. Like, yes, absolutely. So this is something I think I, on a personal level, can like absolutely relate to, as well as I think anyone in general can too. But for this specific, to Star Trek and the fandom and talking with their fans and sharing experiences, 
I think that's something that's it's almost unavoidable. So I think it's almost hard not to think about it. I think it's in some instances, uh, but thankfully, uh, at least within uh, the Facebook group, uh, Star Trek Shit Posting, aka STSP, uh, for the acronym, um, that I was generally largely received with open arms that positivity. And because of Star Trek with its, again, Federation values and more of its uh, optimistic sort of look on things, I think that definitely helped immensely. Whereas, for example, if I post that maybe in a Star Wars Facebook group, that may not have gone over so well, potentially. Who knows? But that may not, that might not, it might not have gone so well. But because of that overlapping positivity and sort of like, you know, and then diversity and positivity and all of those things, I think the, that's why within Star Trek, and I was maybe largely like well received about sharing my experiences at the convention or getting this photo up a certain Star Trek actor and things, and they just really can respond and think really well to it. So, like, yes, I, absolutely, and and I think I, by and large, I think I was thankful to make a good first impression. I generally speaking, like, or I was in that group before, but I was making you know little heads and tails, little comments and things. I wasn't maybe as super active as I was. But yes, I, I think making a good uh, positive uh, first impression uh, can really matter and can really um, affect someone. Absolutely. Yeah. In terms of fandom, I, I'm going to and I think I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to, again, paraphrase uh, comic book writer Kelly Sue DeConnick, oh, who's yes. known for um, quite a few things. I'm a big comic uh, fan worked, myself. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Her work is fantastic. And um, she was talking about the uh, level of fan level of fan involvement and what classifies fan versus not a fan. And I'll, and again, I'll paraphrase what her response was. If you've read a comic book and you consider yourself a comic book fan, you're a comic book fan. If you've read every comic book and consider yourself a comic book fan, you're a comic book fan. Absolutely. That's it. That's it. And, <laughs> it's like, and honestly, I think it's very, again, I, I mean, I'm a fair comic book reader. I've read quite a bit of Marvel, uh, DC, uh, Vertigo, uh, Dark Horse, um, Boom, Image, uh, you name it. So I'll be, I, I would say I've, I've read quite a bit of comics myself, but even me, who's a fairly well-versed comic reader, I can't read everything. Like, I can't read every single thing there is. Um, it's it's yeah. not impossible, uh, especially with, like, look at just all the Marvel characters and all their ongoing titles and all their crossovers and events uh, by all these different writers coming through at the same time. Uh, it's a lot mm-hmm. to keep track of, or DC, what have you, too. It's like, it's a lot to keep track of and to read every single storyline of every single character and things like it's it's a monumentous herculean task uh to keep up with all that even if you are a, a, a weathered fan that's read a lot of comics like there's still things you're always going to be missing and things you're not going to catch up on so absolutely i agree i i even varying amounts i don't think it's just as long as you consider yourself a fan i think that's absolutely what's important yeah and i think you know in in star trek terms and again i've I've, I've, I feel that I've spoken to a wide range of Star Trek fans. I've spoken with folks who are, you know what? I've seen everything as it aired. And then I've talked with folks who are like, I saw J.J. Abrams in 2009. I like Star Trek. That that's that's equal. Those yeah. are equal. You can you can absolutely consider yourself a Star Trek fan having seen a movie or having seen every frame of everything. Absolutely. Like, and and there's 
because I get, I mean, I this show, we take a very singular approach. We're we're covering the entire franchise in chronological order, but we're trying to do it for every fan. So we're trying to hit the bullet points for the folks who are familiar, but we're also trying to dive a little bit deeper for folks who might not realize who the writer or the directors are, or maybe don't recognize some of the guest stars. That's kind of what we're trying to do with this show. But understanding that, and I've told this story a couple of times, my wife, who's a financial analyst, brilliant. When I told her about the idea for this particular show, she said, how much Star Trek is there? And at the time, uh, we were sitting at right around 800 episodes, and I told her as much. And then I see her look up, and I see the wheels turning, and she goes, 15 years? You're going to be doing this podcast <laughs> for 15 years? I was like, if I'm lucky. <laughs> uh, maybe but yeah, even I mean, longer, it, it is a daunting. <laughs> I was going to say maybe even yeah, longer. Yeah, at this point. Because, yeah, because, this point the, longer. because of new Trek shows that may start and come up the air and things exactly like it can be longer sure. because Star Trek is a, I like to call it a legacy franchise, called a legacy franchise. It's been around for over again. We're going on over 50 years at this point. And now with yeah. this uh, reinvigoration of new, a new Star Trek renaissance, as it were, uh, they're like, yeah, it, it could, you know, it, yeah, it, it could be going for longer. Who, who can say? And, you know, I've been in enough panel discussions and heard uh, from enough uh, directly from couples who one person is and the, uh, the other isn't, but they are sharing this experience together. And then, uh, like I mentioned, sitting in a panel uh, at this past Dragon Con, uh, there was a gentleman who stood up and said, you know what? I watched Star Trek with my father. Now I'm watching it with my son. And at so one many. point, we the three of us sat and watched together. And those stories are so wonderful. They are. And when you when you know that this franchise uh, arguably might be the only franchise, a close second is probably Doctor Who. Yeah. That the entire franchise is really kind of based around hope and what the human race could be well, we have the potential and, to be and, what we can we can strive to be you know it's like absolutely yes, and that, put aside our differences you know yeah. and we work together what we can accomplish you know like what we can accomplish yes. and star trek definitely yeah maybe doctor who maybe to a certain extent i'm also a doctor who person too but uh but star trek especially like i think like yes with its this with the federation you know values of the federation all of that it's like yes like to really just we could can we achieve this you know quote-unquote utopia can we can we achieve that and I, I think a lot of star trek fans like i think that we certainly aspire and wish we could have that uh especially in our recent times that we've been living in we were we have seemed to have all this strife we have all this strife and it seems like a deeper uh, ideological ideological division about certain uh, political things that i i think that yes we definitely would really want to strive for that to happen like absolutely yeah, uh, let's take a look at, um, let's shift gears now to um, a, a different side of this same type of feeling. Looking at where Stamets is in this episode, and again, this feeling of what are people thinking of me? I don't know that he's necessarily focused on that particular feeling. He is just, he he knows that his life is now different, that his partner is gone. 
And I saw this, uh, personally, I saw this kind of reflected in my father when my mother passed away. And it's the idea of, I'm not able to function here now like I was. I need to go. Oh, yes, absolutely. I think loss and is that, something we can all we can all relate to. And once we have a family member in our lives and they they go, they they pass away, like it is like it absolutely is a huge yeah. tremendous loss. Like absolutely. So yes, it's it's all sorry for your loss, sorry for your loss, of course. And yes, it's oh, like it's a huge, it's, it's a huge difficult adjustment again for anyone to make. Like, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I and I I won't press if you've had that in your life, but I I know that that is such a big big thing for folks and i know and again when she did pass away i was going through stuff too i was 19 at the time but i was teaching martial arts and you know becoming you know i had graduated high school but i was you know slowly becoming an adult and i didn't necessarily process my grief in the most healthy way that i should have and i know that about myself now now that i'm pushing 40 you know, it's it's one of these things where I I think, and maybe maybe the generation that's after me, I'm I'm what's known as an elder millennial. I'm kind of a sort of a maybe, I'm a millennial as well, but more of a, a mid range, I'd say middle of the road millennial. I'm kind of like mid millennial okay. as it were. I think I'm like more of a mid millennial. I think not quite the elder okay. millennial, but more of like a middle middle of the range ish millennial. I could say yes. Gotcha. But yeah, I think, you know, our, my, cause my parents are much older than me. I'm the youngest of three. And so my parents, uh, you know, therapy wasn't a thing, uh, you oh, know, yes. that's, that's not something we do. So a lot of that kind of imprinted onto me, but I think the rest of the millennials and the generation after me, it's, it's, it is more open. It is more talked about when I studied psychology in college. It, it was kind of put out there on front street of like, Hey, psychology is the youngest of the sciences. We have little to no idea what's going on <laughs> inside a person's brain. And again, going back to my father and I've joked about him, of course, in my stand-up act and stuff like that, but you know, there's a nugget of truth in there. He served in Vietnam, the PTSD that those guys came back with they had just stopped referring to it as shell shock, right? <laughs> like from World War II. Exactly. I was gonna like, grandfather's example, my father, but my grandfather, right? He served in World War II and stuff. Exactly. But he didn't really. I think exactly. He's part of the the silent generation, right? We call it the silent generation of his era. Yes. And it's like, yeah, he yeah. didn't really. I think he did. I think he was kind of part of that group too. So yeah, he just didn't really talk about it. He just didn't really get into, like you're saying, they wasn't really into the whole therapy. Uh, aspect like right absolutely so on that level i think i yeah. can relate like yes absolutely so one more person that i want to talk about i know i talked about the three and now we've talked about stamets one other person who acts without thinking about how am i being perceived right now and taking into consideration what i'm doing versus how people are watching me and what i'm doing and giving me direction is the unfortunate Lieutenant Connolly. Yes, Lieutenant who, Connolly. As you mentioned earlier, death by death mansplaining. By mansplaining. The, 
death by mansplaining. I kind of want that. I kind of want his picture and death by mansplaining. <laughs> I kind of want that on a t-shirt because that's hysterical. It really was. Um, I thought that just again, like Star Trek again, it's a franchise is notorious. Starting with TOS, of course, about having the you know the red shirts, uh, you know, famously die in order to add tension drama to a scene. But of course, they didn't right. kill off any of the main crew members. They did it to our red shirts these nameless security personnel in order to add tension drama but they can't kill kirk spock and mccoy off because they're main characters so they would kill the red shirt character in order to add more tension drama again to the scene and so they kind of once again kind of do this here but i'd argue but with the uh, with regards to the asteroids going to the landing pods but in more comedic fashion because he's going on he's like probably like listen burnham don't question my calculations my roommate was occasion a year ahead of me and i said don't tell me that he just dies abruptly like boom right then and there it's just like i just thought there was a boom dead this is just so hilarious i thought very just very intentionally hilarious and i think I think one person, if I can, if I could take his, I'm not going to take his side, but if we could take the character of Lieutenant Connolly and juxtapose him with Tilly, who, uh, you know, Stamets has to have a conversation with her of Tilly, you're, you're a wonderful person, but I need you to repeat after me. Yeah. I will say fewer things. things. Um, you know, but if anybody outside of Stamets is qualified to speak up about science, it's arguably Tilly. That's very She's true. She's an incredible scientist. Absolutely. Brilliant. But because she doesn't speak up for herself, we're seeing that that's holding her back. Yes. From, from command. It's holding her back in some of her interactions with, you know, her commanding officers and things like that. So I think there might be... A fine line to, uh, you know, in comedy, we call it reading the room. Yes. You got to read the room to know what you can say. Yes. When you've got three very experienced people flying behind you going, hey, you're going to (laughs) die. You should probably not go, I know better than you. Exactly. That's not going to work. No, it won't. But at the same time, had Tilly not spoken up, we wouldn't have been able to get what is arguably the most fascinating and action-packed bit of science that I've seen in Star Trek, which is a ship catching an asteroid and holding Holding it in in. state. I thought it was great. And I I believe that's really the first time really in, I could be wrong, but in Trek that we've really seen that. I mean, maybe they've alluded and talked about it in the past, but actually uh, seeing it and having this asteroid thing in a, Again, shuttle pod bay, land docking bay, a sort of situation is yeah. something that, like, in Trek, you typically just don't see that. You just typically don't see that in Trek, typically. So I think this is really the first time we've really seen something like this uh, really happen. I, yeah, I thought that was great. And I do love her line at the end where she says, you know, that's the power of math, people. Uh, just, I just, I love that. I thought that was great and it was fantastic. Well, uh, I'm about through all of my thoughts. I know you took some notes. Did we did we skip anything? Do you want to hit anything else before we get into the uh, into the stat section? Um, I also like the line where again it's all about you know interactions and familiar relations, and I did like that after towards the end of the episode when Michael and Sarah are talking, he says a really great line where he says, "Focus on what is in front of you uh, rather than behind." And just, yeah. I thought that was very just like, yeah, listen, like, I know you're dealing with a lot right now. And, but the past, the past is the past, is the past, you have to leave the past sort of where it is and just focus on the here and now. And again, I think that is very good, uh, sensible 
practical advice um, that once again anyone can apply to. And I think that was, and again, I think James Fran too is a, was was a great Sarek. Uh, just looking back on his performance, yeah. back, and I'm like, yeah, James Fran was great. He really was. Like he was a great. Uh, I guess I kind of miss him too as well. Like I I miss uh, James Fran Sarek. Like I really enjoyed seeing him again, and thought he he was great. He was fantastic. Yeah, you know, uh, talking about his advice, it makes me think of Rafiki yes. in Lion King. Yes. <laughs> Ow! Jeez, what was that for? It doesn't matter! It's in the past! <laughs> yeah, but it still hurts. Oh, yes, the past can't hurt. But the way I see it, you can either run from it, or learn from it. <laughs> um, and sometimes, you know, I think that's part of learning the hard way. Now, you hope, you hope that you're not in one of those pods... <laughs> trying to navigate through an asteroid field because you don't have the opportunity to learn the hard way. And I thought that sequence too Um, was just thrilling in general. Just the whole sequence of them talking about two before it's like, well, the production values have really come a long way. It's like, that's another thing too, really. Like in Trek, we never really had that really so much in the older Trek series due to production values and things. We never really had these landing pods and sort of this like chase through this asteroid this chase through this like you know, asteroid field type of thing we never really had that much before yeah. in the Ultra series so yeah. i thought that whole sequence i thought was extremely thrilling i thought the whole sequence of the pods and just jettisoning around and navigating all that's just a really thrilling i think sequence for sure yeah absolutely and there there's there's really a lot of really fun things to unpack with this episode like i mentioned at the top character wise and through the plot But as we do every week, when we look at these episodes, good or bad, we have to ask the question, lovingly, who do we blame? So this episode was written by Ted Sullivan, Gretchen J. Berg, and Aaron Harberts. Now, Ted Sullivan, uh, this is not his first work on the franchise's last work was uh, Discovery Season 1, Episode 13, What's Past His Prologue, which we discussed with actor, writer, director, Matt Jennings back on episode 99. And of course, Gretchen J. Berg and Aaron Harberts, the writing team, they've been seen throughout. The last uh, thing that they worked on before this was uh, season one, episode 15, Will You Take My Hand, which we discussed with comedian Melly Kazel on our season five finale, which was episode 101. And of course, this episode is directed by Alex Kurtzman. Now, Alex Kurtzman is known as a writer and producer. In fact, the last thing he worked on was Short Treks Season 1, Episode 1, Runaway, which is a great short. That's uh, a wonderful that's a Very wonderful good. slice of Tilly's life. Yes. Really enjoy that one. Um, which we actually discussed that back on Episode 100 with the, I don't know, some know-it-all thinks he's better than me. Anyway, <laughs> uh But yeah, he's known mostly as a producer and writer of Trek. So it should be noted that this is his only time in the director's chair for for the franchise so far. Interesting. We'll we'll see what happens in the future. But as of now, yeah. But it's true. Kurtzman (laughs) is definitely very, his name is very, like, he's very synonymous with the, in the age of new star trek like his name is very yeah. much attached to that but i didn't i starting starting of course with jj's with jj's, with JJ's, with JJ's movie track. yeah um so yeah i didn't know that this was his first time directing i was not aware of that that is that or only so far only time that's that's very interesting i was not aware of that actually yeah now in terms of the guest stars we've got a couple of uh returning familiar faces of course we've already mentioned uh james frayne 
as Sarek. Uh, we've showered uh, a lot of praise on him uh, <laughs> over the past few episodes. And of course, once again, Mia Kirshner do- doing an amazing job as a man. And Yes, absolutely. But then uh, we just got uh, done sort of using him as a cautionary tale. Uh, we've got Sean Connolly Affleck as Lieutenant Evan Connolly. Uh, you know, I couldn't really find a lot of information about uh, Mr. Affleck, but the things that I did find, he is a Canadian huh. jobber. Basic, basically, he's he's from Canada okay. and he's got a lot of he's got a lot of one offs. He's got a lot of uh, supporting roles on his resume so far, and he is not related to Ben or Casey. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think I was like, "Oh, that was on my mind too." Like, could he be? But like, I was starting to think, like, "No, he can't be." Yeah. And the third thing I found out was this is his only appearance in the franchise. He is yeah. there. I think. I think he is truly meant to be in terms of the chronology. I think he is our first true red shirt. Oh, He's introduced okay. and dies. And dies just like, like that. Yeah. Cause we didn't really have that in enterprise and or yeah. Yeah. We didn't really have that in enterprise and the stuff that we've hit between here and there is minimal at best. So I think this might, I think uh, Lieutenant Evan Connolly is our first red shirt. I think so. Who funnily enough is wearing a He's blue wearing shirt. He's wearing blue. Exactly. He's wearing blue. <laughs> I do like Which, how they... if I can digress for just a second, the fact that the Enterprise, the flagship, that science officer made such a boneheaded decision. <laughs> how do you, how either... do you get that position? Right? How do you get that position? Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, clearly, uh, you know, Spock is on leave, so he's the fill-in guy. Right, but, but like, is every other is if he was the next best option? How yeah. either good is Spock or how terrible is everybody right? else? You do wonder about the qualifications of Starfleet sometimes. I love Starfleet. Exactly. I love Starfleet, Protutopia, all these things. But yes, there are some cracks in there. And you do kind of wonder about these things. Like, For absolutely. Sure. And uh, the last person, now we've got a couple of other familiar faces, uh, you know, to the franchise who make first appearances here. But uh, for the sake of time, uh, and because I really want to give her uh, a healthy section of spotlight, we have Tig Notaro as Commander Jet Reno. I absolutely adore Tig and her work. Uh, just briefly, I'm just going to scratch the surface here. Her first Comedy Central special, um, or excuse me, her first Comedy Central Presents was back in 2004. And her first acting role was in an episode of Dog Bites Man. That was in 2006. But she's appeared on Community, The Office, Adventure Time, Lady Dynamite, just to name a few. Her first album, Good One, came out in 2011, and she did not stop. She's got that. that, Again, that's just the starting point. She had um, uh, she was diagnosed with. Uh, breast cancer right, yes. had a a very public um, dealing with that had a double mastectomy and just after being diagnosed uh, did an did a show which was then released as an album and it's called live and it has gone on to be one of those kind of famous legendary comedy albums because she, she essentially got off the phone with her doctor and then went on stage and talked about it. And it was 
kind of one of those legendary sets that somebody just happened to be recording. And so seriously, folks, take a look. If you need further convincing around the time that she was promoting this album and promoting her tour, she went on Conan O'Brien and her appearance on Conan O'Brien to this day folds me in laughter. Yes. She is so she's so good at what she does and she knows exactly what she's doing. If you watch Conan while she's talking, if you watch what Conan is doing, Conan is very smart. Yeah. He and he's a very good comedian himself. I love Conan. I love Conan he, and he is busting a gut yeah. <laughs> at what Tig is doing. And it is just a wonderful, wonderful uh, slice of comedy history that Tig is a huge, huge part of. And when they announced her as being part of the cast of Star Trek Discovery, I nearly lost my mind. I was like, this is wonderful. Plus, she adds to a very interesting history of comedians appearing on Star Trek. She does. Uh yeah, so this is, of course, her first of, in my opinion, far too few oh, appearances yes. in the franchise. I think we all. I really wish she would be in more. Episodes. I think we all wish she was like a regular crew member. I think, but she's more of again more of a yeah. reoccurring character more than a staple, you know, crew member. But again, I think she really brings this again, like great, just funny energy, and specifically again, sort of dry, sarcastic yes. delivery, which again in yes. Star Trek. We don't really have much of it. In other shows, it's, I think it's very common to have a character that's dry and sarcastic and stuff, absolutely. But in Trek, in history of Trek shows, not really so much. So I think it was very, I think it's very refreshing to have this character that has this dry sarcasm as well as this very, right, who doesn't really, again, talking about perception and caring about what people think. And like, she doesn't really care what they think. She's an yeah. engineer. Like, she's like an engineer and she's focused on this thing and that's what she's going to do. And I just love, I love her line where, again, her sort of blunt manner where she goes, you know, like, evolution's a fickle bitch, am I right? Like, things like that. Just like, that line is something that we never would have heard in older Trek. We just never would have heard anyone in Starfleet deliver, like, a line delivered like that. Um, but yeah. I think it really works. I, I gotta say, and and I, I want to get your opinion on this, because we, we talked a little bit before about uh, of course, it's on the tip of everybody's tongue right now. Todd Stashwick's performance as Captain Liam Shaw in the third season of Picard. I wonder if his character would have been as well received if not for Jet Reno. I do wonder. I performance think she did, by Tig. I think she did definitely pave the way for sure. Like absolutely. I think so. Because again, in yeah. in mostly older Trek, typically speaking, typically speaking, older Trek, most of the characters on the crew. Um, were at least, um, they had a very professional, maybe that's the best way to put it, professional, upstanding sort of uh, personality most of the time. Or they at least very, very meant well, or like Data, for example, was very uh, very courteous, very polite and eloquent in like, how he spoke and things like that too. Um, so she is just very more, again, like just sort of more kind of blunt, more sarcastic, more kind of funny and humorous in that kind of way. And mm-hmm. um, I think just, again, it's an energy we didn't really have much, even really over Trek. So yeah, I, I think that, yes, I think she definitely paved the way uh, for uh, Todd Stashwick, uh, Sean Picard season three. Absolutely. If I can look at those characters just a little bit more and, and then we'll move on. Sure. But looking at those characters... I think it's kind of glossed over where Jet Reno is 
when they find when the landing party finds her and how that influenced her character because we didn't we didn't get to know Jet Reno as part of the USS Hiawatha. No. We see her in a crash in a crashed ship by herself having to keep her crew members arguably close friends alive yes we, sometimes sometimes by manually pumping their hearts yes like, you see the heart so, in that sort of um like glass sort of chamber and that heart's just there and yeah yeah that's the kind of stuff that kind of incites ptsd you hear from soldiers about having to watch their buddies die you know and and every different version of that story now look at shaw and the wolf 359 speech and knowing that he was confronted with death and narrowly escaped and i wonder if that idealism and that maybe that feeling of superiority of having backup and having superior technology maybe took away from some of that um that strive to survive that survival instinct i think so and it kind of it kind of gave them this kind of hard exterior of just kind of like look you can say or do whatever you want i've held my friend's heart in my hands or in terms of captain shaw i was the lucky one yeah i was and i watched i watched the ship explode at the hands of this man who is now sitting at my table so yeah, I'm a I'm a little prickly. Yeah, and he's and he's and, a dipshit from Chicago. I love that line to you. Some dipshit yeah, from Chicago. Yeah. They chose why did they chose me? Like why did they chose me? Maybe some sort yeah, survivor's guilt, right? Survivor's guilt, and like you're mentioning, a lot of soldiers or or people going through that experience feel that that survivor's guilt. Like why was I chosen? I'm just some I'm just some person. I'm just a regular. Person. So it's more so it's more of a hard exterior because of the, because of the damage done of like. Hey, I have to, you know, in terms of Captain Shaw, I got to be a captain. So I have to conduct myself as such, you know, in terms of Commander Reno, she had to separate herself from her humanity. And it's, it's played off as a joke, but she had to reduce her, her crewmates, her friends to machines. And she had to separate that. What, what kind of effect does that have on a person who's operating in this world? Like that. I mean, I really wish I'd, have, you know, yeah. a better podcast host would have thought <laughs> of this sooner and made more notes, but like uh, any other thoughts about this before we move It's very on? possible like this again, it's a little hard to say because obviously we don't really know what she was like prior to this. Like we don't really know. So for all we know, right. it is possible. She was like this before the incident, but again, we don't know. But I would, I mean, I guess I'm sort of just assuming, I guess I'm just making some assumptions, but I would say that this incident, I would say probably this, this crash and seeing all the crew members die and trying to survive and stuff, I'm sure did develop this very sort of more blunt, maybe more blunt exterior and less sort of professional demeanor. I'm sure at least, even if she had that before, even if she did have that before, I'm sure it was a, a coping mechanism maybe as a way or also maybe humor as, as a deflecting coping me mechanism as well on top of that yeah. but i'm sure all of this whole incident extenuate just just magnified it to a thousand i'm sure it just magnified even if she was this way before like he's in 2000 became more part of personality and be like yeah i'm just gonna say i've gone through all this stuff 
I I don't have time to deal with all this small, you know, whatever it is you're dealing with, the small stuff you're dealing with. That doesn't, you know, matter to me now anymore that I've just been through this like harrowing uh life changing experience where I almost could have died from this, but I survived but I survived as well. I survived uh, the crash of the Hiawatha as well. So now I'm just this is going to fundamentally uh change her personality and her persona. Like so yeah, I think it absolutely had a tremendous effect on her in one way or another, for sure, yeah. in a very, I think, large way. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the question that we ask every week. And I think based on our discussion, I think I kind of have a good feeling of where uh, your answer is probably going to wind up. But we always ask the question, is this essential viewing? If somebody is sitting down and working their way through Star Trek for the very first time and they come to this episode, is this one that they must watch or can they skip it? I would say hard must watch. I would say very strong, hard watch. And again, um, granted, yeah. New Trek, though, does have more of a serializ- uh, serialization, thank you, if you will, uh, than older yeah. Trek or older TV. A lot of older TV was a lot of episodic and came in reruns and things so that anyone could sort of watch in. But yes, with the serialized, longer form version of storytelling that we have with, uh, again, TV that's really developed lately. And this episode in particular, since one, it is a season premiere, and two, we have the introductions of, you know, again, um, Jet Reno and uh, Christopher Pike, who, again, we'll be seeing much more of, and especially Pike in particular, we will be seeing much more of uh, in regards to Star Trek. And it is great seeing him. And I did also just want to point out, I did love the scene towards the end where after he talks about showing his filing report, he goes, you know what, Um, let's do a roll call. And ranks don't matter. He says, ranks don't matter. I want to hear all, I want to hear all of your names. I want to hear all, say all your names. I want to hear all of your names. And I thought that was great. I thought it was a very nice, personable uh, sort of approach and being like, Hey, I want to get, I just came here, but I want to get, I want to know who everyone is on the bridge, regardless of your rank, regardless how important your job may or may not be. And I loved it towards the end when he's talking to Michael Burnham at the very end, he says, okay, you know, we have this, thing that we're dealing with in regards to this mystery in regards to the red bursts of energy this is mystery that then will be continuing through the rest of the season and he says but he says a very important line i think is grace says, let's have some fun along the way let's have some fun along the way yeah. and i yeah. think he did such a answer to mal he did such a great job of setting the coming in and setting almost his his captain just his setting his command style and just how he is as a captain, and he comes into Lorca's Lorca's ready room. He's like, "Hey, where are the chairs? Where are all these chairs here? What happened?" And Michael explains to him as well. Lorca wasn't really the type of guy to really. He was very quick and da 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 and brunt and off you go, off you go. And he's like, "Well, I'm going to do things a little differently. I want my people to sort of feel at ease." So you know what, in this ready room, let's put some chairs in here too. Let's put some chairs in here while we're at it. And I thought that was also just, again, just really great. Just showing his, the shifting of command styles and showing really, again, what a great captain I think Pike uh, really is and how Anson Mount has really just taken this role just and made it his own. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, in looking at Pike specifically, um, and then I'll, I'll speak a little bit more broadly, but looking at what he does, you mentioned him coming in and setting the tone. I think from a narrative standpoint, he absolutely does set a tone of, okay, now I'm in command. This is how it's going to work, which is what captains have to do in terms of production. It's no secret when discovery started in 2017, right off the bat, it is a dark 
dark show. Oh, absolutely. It regards to Klingon, like having with him, everything with the Klingon war and all of that stuff. Like it did. It, it was yeah. it definitely came across as dark. And I know that did yeah. rub some Trek fans, talking about first impressions and things. Uh, some Trek uh-huh. fans were rubbed the wrong way with that. Some Trek fans, it really did rub them the wrong way of how dark it was. And it was sort of a turn off for some fans, absolutely. And then when season two starts yeah. off and when Pike sort of comes in, you do notice a sort of different tone. And even when they're first coming aboard the Discovery, Nan makes, Nan makes the remark of saying, boy, we know her Starfleet kind of puts its pennies. That's what she says, her term of phrase, her terminology. And Pike says, well, we do have the new colorful uniforms. We do have the new colorful uniforms. <laughs> and But yeah, you're absolutely right. And looking at him saying, and let's have some fun along the way. I think that was not, not only was that important for the character, but that was also important a message from the production to the fans of like, Hey, we know we started kind of dark, just hang on. Things are changing. Yes. Things are changing (laughs) with Pike uh, being, being in charge uh, on board and things are going to be okay. Like he wants, again, he was very uh, quick to want to rescue them. He was very quick to when he saw that there was a, he was very quick. Like, no, we've got to, you know, rescue these people. We need to, we need to do this as soon as possible. Then through and Michael were trying to talk to him, trying to, you know, talk things out before they did that. But no, he was very concerned about, you know, saving the crew members immediately wanting to get that done. Yeah, absolutely. And looking at also the idea of let's let's say that the season two, uh, the season one finale was your first thing that you saw of Discovery. And maybe you're not on board just yet. I don't know how you watch the Enterprise pull up to the Discovery and not want to see what happens next. Oh, yeah. So, in, in short, I think this absolutely is a, a must-see episode. Not only that, but also looking at the kind of knowing, okay, now we're at the end of the Klingon War and Burnham has gone through so many things. I feel like her feelings might actually be mirrored with the fans of kind of like, all right, now what? And now it's kind of like, all right, now we're going to get a little bit deeper. The ship that your adopted brother is on just parked in front of you exactly what are we gonna what do, are we gonna do? So, and i like that when she walks into uh at the very end spock's quarters on the enterprise yeah. and there's uh-huh. some great uh again this is more fans or a little bit of fan service some nice fan servicey moments when she walks into the room and she sees she sees what he has in there so we see of course a blue uniform that's very folded up off to the corner saying that's his yeah. serve uniform we see uh the, the bells we see all these like the bells you know the bells of course the famous tos episode a mock time where they're shaking the bells right before right before the uh kirk and spock you know have that fight as well as a 3d chess set as well as 3d chess sets in there too and we get to well we don't see him but we hear ethan peck we get to at least hear him we get to at least hear his voice for the first time as spock when michael burnham plays uh, his personal log so we get to hear Ethan Peck's yeah. at least uh, audio delivery, audio delivery as as Spock, and I thought that was also just great uh, to go back and listen to and see. I thought that was great. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like we are on the same page. This is absolutely a must see. Let me say, Kevin, Kevin Hebenstreit, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming on and having a wonderful, wonderful discussion with me today. Thank you so much, uh, Todd, for having me. I appreciate thoughts. it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Absolutely. you so much. And again, I always love talking about Star Trek and I love 
just make, even just making fun of her, or just making fun of it in a pl- fun way, or making memes of it and such, and things like that. I love the unposted making memes about it, discussing it. And again, I, I but I am again, there's no wrong way to be a fan, of course, but I am definitely the type of fan that does want to consume it all. I am that type of fan that wants to consume all of Star Trek, where the episodes are good, necessary, yes or no, necessary, are they, are they essential viewing or not? I love consuming Star Trek in all of its forms and flavors, and I will I will be watching it until the day I die. I will be watching it until the day I die. Like, I, absolutely. It is a fandom, the Trek community, the fandom community has had such an impact, positive impact on my life that and I'm a geek, right? I'm a part of a, I, I'm a fan of lots of other fandoms and things and movies and media and especially on TV shows and video games about comics and all this stuff. But no fandom has changed my life the way the Star Trek fandom has. In the most positive way that has changed my life, it really has. So I will always be grateful to Star Trek for really impacting and just, again, changing my life. Like, it absolutely has introduced me to so many great people, uh, such as yourself and via the, the online community. It's really impacted me that, like, in no other fandom uh, has ever had. So thank you. Awesome. Well, folks. He makes fun of Star Trek through song, so you don't have to. Next week, we will be joined by the creator of the popular Star Trek musical parody YouTube channel, Star Wrecked. Ian Ramsey will be here to discuss Discovery Season 2, Episode 2, New Eden, which is available exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Kevin! Where can people bother you on the internet? Well, uh, if you want to bother me on the internet, uh, you can actually join a, the group that I have been mentioning uh, throughout this episode a bit, which is uh, the full name is uh, called Star Trek Shitposting, or uh, the abbreviation for it, as I have to call it, is STSP uh, on Facebook as well. We are a growing uh, community, and that we, we have lots of great discussions about Star Trek uh, on there as well. I also have my personal Facebook group uh, called uh, Kevin's Corner. If you'd like to join that, you're more than welcome to. And uh, I will send links, and the links uh, will be down below in the show notes. Uh, if you'd like to check them out and join me in discussing Star Trek memes and humor and all sorts of various topics. And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials. From all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in 10 forward. Like, rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcasts at gmail.com or at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Computer Resume Podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop, and our outro music was provided with permission by Dronode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn, and the voice of Computer Resume Podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time.
Da 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 da. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods, and we're gonna find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?